You're listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached during the online worship service of Central United Methodist Church. We are located in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to join us for our live worship experience through Facebook or Zoom every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Visit www.cumcballston.org for details. There you can also learn more about our congregation where we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. The walk to Emmaus. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation which you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted it to them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He appeared to be going further, but they constrained him, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at a table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 gathered together and those who were with them, who said, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The walk to Emmaus. This is one of the most familiar stories we have in the Bible. Two people, 
walking together on Easter morn, meet the risen Savior, and they don't know it. It's become a popular pastime in some academic circles to argue that many of the stories we're given in Scripture are just that, stories. That they didn't really happen. That rather they were invented to teach a lesson to a young Christianity. Now one proof that's offered that this is such a story, that the walk to Emmaus is really an invented story, is that there's no village of first century uh, of our common period that is called Emmaus. They can't find one. So therefore the logic goes, the story's not true. It must be fiction. I don't think so. And I have three reasons why I believe this story is very, very true. First, while it's true that biblical geographers cannot locate the town of Emmaus, it's not because there is no such town. There are at least five towns in and around Jerusalem in the first century that would meet the requirements. Indeed, one of them's name was a derivative of the word Emmaus. The problem stems from the fact that in the different manuscripts we have relating this gospel, the town is put at different distances from Jerusalem. Second, there's the context. This story occurs only in Luke's gospel. And we know that this gospel is not a first-person account of the events. The gospel writer makes this very clear from the beginning. It's rather a gospel based on Luke's investigation and interviewing his witnesses. Luke puts it this way in the opening words. Many people have already applied themselves to the task of compiling an account of the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used what the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed down to us. Now, after having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, I have also decided to write a carefully ordered account for you, most honorable Theophilus. I want you to have confidence in the soundness of the instruction you have received. Why should we assume that the gospel writer is gullible? Why should we assume that he or she or her witnesses and his witnesses are lying? Third, and for me the most important reason for reading this is a true story, as something that, that actually happened with three people, is that the people in our story act like real people. They have real feelings, and they do real things. They behave exactly as I would expect real people to behave, and they would act just exactly as I would expect real people to act. As the story opens, we have two people walking along a road, going away from Jerusalem. They're talking to each other about all these things that have happened. When the third person joins them and asks what they're talking about, they stand still and look sad. Sad indeed. These two are devastated. These two were followers of Jesus the Nazarene. And we catch that when we hear their words after they recount the events. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Hoped indeed. They were his followers, and they've seen their teacher, their Messiah, totally fail. 
and fail in the most disgraceful way possible, executed by the Roman authorities and the powers that be. Jesus is now just one more in a line of failed messiahs. We also have here a wonderful glimpse at Jesus' sense of humor. And he said to them, what are you talking about as you walk along? And they stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who's unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? He said to them, what things? What things indeed? Now this allows for one of the pilgrims to give a brief account along with the astounding news that the tomb is empty. But then our two pilgrims listened to this stranger. Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. In their deep sorrow and devastation, they listened. And then they did something more. When they had reached their home, they invited this stranger to stay with them. I wonder what would have happened if they would not invited the stranger to stay. I wonder what would have happened if they decided to stay in their sorrow, had heard the stranger out, and then said something along the lines, of, yeah, well, that's, that's your opinion. You're entitled to it. That's your reading of Scripture. And we have ours. Thanks for the company and safe travels. They would have missed the risen Christ. They would have missed the resurrection and their part in the resurrection and being witnesses to the resurrection. Here's the lesson. It wasn't until they acted like Christ and opened themselves up to invite a stranger to join them, first in deep conversation and then in hospitality, that they saw the risen Christ. In deep sorrow, devastated, they were still willing to listen and to share, first with each other, and then with a stranger they met on the road. They were open to inviting this stranger into their deep sorrow and into their meal. And because they did this, they could change, and they could participate in the resurrection. For many of us, disappointment or deep sorrow leads to our withdrawing, of our going into ourselves, of feeling wounded, protecting ourselves. The word someone might use to describe this is being inconsolable. That's a terrible word. I've done this. I've acted just this way. I've felt hurt and betrayed and I've gone into myself and cut myself off from others. And when others have tried to show me a way out, another way, another perspective, maybe a different lesson than the one I was taking with me, I rejected it. I pushed them away. And you know, when I've done this, it doesn't take me very long to begin to get used to being in that place. It doesn't take me very long to become comfortable in my own self-pity, to become angry and enjoy my anger. Take a moment, recall for yourself when you might have acted this way, when you were hurt and shut down and your life became all about you. What did our two pilgrims do? 
they did something different. First, they talked out their feelings. They talked to each other and then to this stranger, honestly laying out their story. They reached out in their sorrow to others. Second, they listened. They didn't stay within their own story. They were willing to not only communicate their deepest feelings, but also to be open to the other, to hear what the other would say and to really listen to what was really being said. And third, they invited the stranger in. They not only heard that stranger, but they invited the stranger to stay with them. They were open to hear and to be with another's feelings as they walked and then as they ate. What we see in this gospel story really isn't something we haven't seen before or heard before or been told before. Just how many self-help books have we read? How many therapists have we listened to? And how many workshops on emotional maturity have we attended to hear the experts tell us that we should talk out our feelings, we should be open to listening and to reflective feedback, and we should use that feedback to be open to help others. Are we paying attention? Are we paying attention to the opportunities that are around us? Are we being open to being open? The teacher of Ecclesiastes said that to everything there is a purpose under heaven. I want to be clear. God did not cause today's hardships. No matter what you may have heard from others, no matter what you may have even heard other preachers say, God did not cause this pandemic. Our God does not act that way to kill people or to make people sick or to create hardships. We are not suffering some sort of punishment for our sins, be they individual or collectively. Our God is not an evil God demanding sacrifice and blood out of sickness and death and destruction because he has a killer surveillance system and he's found us out. Our God, the creator of this world, who declared creation to be very good, to declare us as created creatures in his image to be very good, is a God who loves Easter is the demonstration of that love. God did not cause this pandemic. But God can always find, even in this evil, a purpose. God can work in us and through us so that this evil can be used to God's purpose. So that God's work of salvation can continue for each one of us. Our two pilgrims on a dusty road long ago were beyond sorrow or even hope. In their sorrow, they invited a stranger to join them. In their sorrow, they needed comfort, and because of that, they were changed. We too, in this difficult time, because of this difficult time, can be changed if we are willing to be open to change, if we are willing to reach out. I'll close with a poem by Kitty O'Mara, and it's called, And the People Stayed Home. And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still. And listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows. And the people began to think differently. 
and the people healed. And in the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed, and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses, and made new choices, and dreamed new images, and created new ways to live and to heal the earth fully, as they had been healed. May this be our story. Amen.